Uh, so my name is Joey. I'm one of the elders here at uh, Summit Crossing. I have the privilege and honor and joy to be able, um, by God's good grace, to help shepherd uh, the people of God alongside a body of uh, elders and leaders and staff. Um, and so it's a, it's a joy to do that. It's also a joy to be able to have the opportunity occasionally to uh, stand before you with the Word of God and, and have the opportunity to to preach and so um and i'm i'm thankful to be with a body of uh elders where this ministry even this ministry is shared uh the preaching ministry as well it's good for you as the church to hear different voices um as we together in unity lead you uh, as a church so a few announcements real quick before we get started one there is a, a spring bible study coming up uh it'll be beginning on March the 6th, uh, which is a sun, Sunday evenings, it'll be at 6 p.m. Uh, here on, on the campus of uh, Summit Limestone. Uh, that Bible study will be titled Jonah, the, the Depths of Grace. Couldn't read my own handwriting there for a minute. The Depths of Grace. Uh, Jonah, the Depths of Grace. There are books for that, little booklets. They're available in the Resource Center for about $7, I believe. That is at cost. We don't make any money off of those things. We just try to make it easy for you to, uh, to get those by providing them in the foyer. Uh, $7 a piece um, <clears throat> there in the Resource Center. Uh, additionally, uh, I want to let you know that coming up on May the 1st, we're going to be having a celebration service together, something I really enjoy um, when we're able to do these things. And we're going to be celebrating baptism and uh, baby dedications in one big celebration service as a family. So I encourage all of you to come, be a part of that. Let's celebrate what God is doing in the lives of uh, the families among us and the people among us as, as the Spirit moves uh, and calls people to follow Him uh, and grows our families uh, through birth as well. And we dedicate ourselves as a community to see these children raised in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. So come be a part of that on May the 1st. If you are, have any interest in, um, in baptism or, or you have a, a child that you'd like to see dedicated and be a part of this service on May the 1st, there is an interest form on, online at mysc, mysc3.org. Um, you can go fill that out. That'll come to us, and we'll look at it. We'll reach out to you. But please know that's not the only way to get us, right? If, you, if the Lord is moving in your heart and stirring you towards the gospel and you feel like maybe you need to be baptized, you can also just come up to us and talk, right? You don't have to do that through a computer, but you're welcome to do that as well. Um, you can go fill out that form on, uh, on mysc3.org for now. It's mysc3.org. I say for now because that is about to change. It is coming. Uh, Our new domain and our new website will be summitlimestone.org. We've been talking about this for a long time and planning towards it. Basically, uh, summitcrossing.org has been shared, a shared domain between us and the Madison campus uh, since our uh, inception when we were planted in 2013. Uh, it's just going to make things easier administratively and things like that. There's not like a big divide between us or anything like that. It's just it's going to make things easier administratively on um, everybody involved if, if we set up our own domain now, Summit 
limestone.org. I'm excited about that. The content is getting put together. It is coming uh, very soon. As a matter of fact, all the elders and staff, our email addresses have already changed. So if you still have us down as as uh, summitcrossing.org email, go ahead and change that uh, uh, soon because we're now receiving email at summitlimestone.org. So all of that is uh, coming soon. Uh, If this is one of your first times to be with us and you've not um, filled out like a little green card that's on the chair in front of you, we call those the connect card because what we hope is that we will be able to connect with you and you will be able to connect with us in gospel relationships. It's part of our uh, it's part of our desire here at Summit Crossing is to live in gospel community and gospel relationships with one another. So let us know a little bit about you on the Connect card. You can put that in the boxes in the back on your way out on the sides. Um, and, and we'll reach out to you and just want to get to know you, get to share a little bit with you about what God is doing among us at Summit Crossing. Um, and just let you uh, uh, follow the leadership's spirit and whether or not this may be a community that he's calling you to be a part of as well. So fill out a green card, put it in the box uh, in the back. This morning we're going to be continuing in our study of the Gospel of John. Uh, we're in John chapter 16. Uh, so you, if you would like to, go ahead and start turning there to John chapter 16. Um, it's a rather lengthy chapter, uh, 33 verses, and we're going to do every single one of them this morning. Um, it's, <laughs> I wish. Um, you may not wish, but I wish. So I got a phone call earlier in the week, uh, even before I knew that I would be uh, delivering the message this morning. I got a phone call from an individual who, who was just really struggling with Uh, when it came down to it, kind of the daily mundane routine of spiritual life um, and and felt like there was no spiritual growth happening uh, and wondered whether or not what that meant about uh, the person and, you know, uh, and doubting some things and figuring out whether there's unbelief there and and all those kind of things because they just weren't seeing this the spiritual trajectory of growth and excitement in their spiritual lives um, during this season, and, and were struggling even wanting to read the Bible and things like that. And, and I had to remind, uh, remind this person that John Piper wrote a book called Desiring God. And everybody knows, if you know of John Piper, you know the book Desiring God. I mean, it's the name of his ministry, right? Desiring God. And, and everybody has this ideal about what the Christian life looks like when you are passionately pursuing the glory of God and your joy in Him, you know, above all things and, and how the gospel impacts and the implications of the gospels in every aspect of life as you desire Him on a day-to-day basis. But I, I reminded this person that it's not the only book John Piper writ- has written. He's written a lot. But he also wrote a book titled, When I Don't Desire God. Because there are those seasons too. In the life of the genuine believer, the growing even Christian, there are those seasons where we don't feel like we desire God. We don't feel like we're growing in our walk with Christ. So I'd remind this person of that and, and let them know that there are sorrowful moments in life and there are painful struggles in life, uh, both, both physically, emotionally, and yes, even spiritually, and, and even during the daily mundane drudgery of day-to-day life, the normalcy of life, um, we are in need of the Spirit in the midst of all of that, and the Spirit is still at work in the midst of all of that. 
And even in those periods of time when we feel like we've got it all together and we're spiritually strong and we're growing or maybe we've got it all figured out, those moments even, maybe even more so, in those moments we are in need of the Spirit's help and guidance and direction. So we just had that conversation um, earlier in the week. Then I found out I was going to be preaching and it was John chapter 16. And So I looked through John chapter 16 and it's a big chapter there's a lot going on it's in that period of the gospel of john that some call the farewell cycle or the final cycle where jesus is really going through some things from like chapter 13 uh through 16 or 17 and he's he's preparing the disciples for his departure so it's kind of the farewell cycle that's why they call it that he's going through all of these different things and in two different times in this cycle Jesus promises them that he will send them the Holy Spirit. That he will depart, but he will send them the Holy Spirit. And that's one thing that's happening here in chapter 16. He's promising them that he will send the Holy Spirit. And, and what we can see, if we focus in on just that theme in this chapter, there's lots of themes in this chapter, but if we focus in on just that theme, there are like six sermons here. So, since the Super Bowl doesn't start till 5.30... Y'all are, thank, appreciate you. You don't even need to watch the Super Bowl. That's good. So since the Super Bowl doesn't start till 530, uh, I, I, will, I will try to make this quicker. I won't preach six sermons, mainly because I'm married to the Summit Kids director. And she made it very clear when I told her that there were six sermons here. I better only preach half of one because the kids can't take it that long. So um, I, I, will, I will focus in just on verses 7 through 13 this morning. But before we focus there, I want to at least give you six overarching points about the presence of the Holy Spirit and the role of the Holy Spirit that Jesus is promising in this chapter if we focus on just this theme. And the first is that he promises a persistent presence of the Spirit in our lives. He promises a righteous conviction by the Spirit in our lives. He promises an increased understanding. This is where we're going to kind of sit, but he promises an increased understanding enabled by the Spirit in our lives. He promises a persevering joy through the circumstances in our lives. He promises intimate prayer motivated by the Spirit working in our lives. And he promises an overcoming peace because Christ has overcome the world in our lives. And so we're going we're gonna to focus in on really the righteous conviction and increased understanding uh, sections this morning. And, and then maybe hopefully if we have time, see how all of that kind of fits together. But let's look at verses 7 through 13 together. Jesus says, But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. And concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you no longer see me. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. 
I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all the truth. For He will not speak on His own initiative, but whatever He hears, He will speak. And He will disclose to you what is to come. So this is the section of the, of the major text that, that I like to focus on in this one theme that he has promised righteous conviction and, and he has promised an increased understanding by the work of the Spirit in our lives. So let's look at this righteous conviction. And we're going to try to move a little more quickly through, through this piece. We'll move this out of my way for a second. We're going to, we're going to focus more on, on this one, one piece later of the increased understanding, but I want to talk quickly over the righteous conviction section of the text. So he says there in verse 8, and when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Three things primarily. And I want it to be clear that this work of the Spirit is not an adding anything to the gospel message that Jesus has already laid out, which we'll talk about in a moment. But he, he wants to send the Holy Spirit so that he will convict us of sin because of unbelief, he says in verse 9. Because of unbelief. So, we often, when we think about convicting of sin or being convicted of sin, we race to this, this idea of the, of the bludgeoning over the head with uh, what we've done. And, and that's appropriate and good in the sense that we must understand what sin is and in what ways we sin, but that's not the, really the question that's being answered by Jesus in this piece. I love the way Matthew Henry kind of lays out conviction of sin, and, and it's good for us to just kind of fly by and think through. But, but he, he likes to say that the Holy Spirit convicts us first of the fact of sin, that is that it's true that we've committed sin. He, he convicts us of the fault of sin, that is that we are guilty because we've committed sin. He convicts us of the folly of sin in the sense that Sin is really irrational because it is not to our good, it is to our own demise, yet we still choose to do it. He convicts us of the filth of sin, that is, that sin is evil, unrighteous. He convicts us of the fountain of sin, that is, that sin is born within us, our sinful nature, by our own nature, we choose to sin and he convicts us ultimately of the fruit of sin that is that because it's the fact that we've sinned because we are guilty of sin because it's irrational for us to do so and that it is evil and it came up out of us the fruit of that sin is that we deserve the wrath of god so that's usually what we think about when we think conviction of sin but that's not what jesus is answering in this particular moment in this moment, he's answering the question, why we sin? Not that we sin, but why we sin. And the Spirit is going to come, he says, to convict the world. By the way, we like to think of the world as the others, right? But I don't know if you know it, but we are in the world. And apart from the grace of Jesus Christ that we, we might have received in salvation, we fit under this heading, the world. 
the worldly. So, so we have to see ourselves in this text as well, that the Spirit shows us the reason for our sin. And the reason for our sin is He's convicting us of our unbelief. Convicting us of our unbelief. So the root of our sin, in every way that we sin, he's basically trying to show us that in in some way there is something about Jesus, something about God, something about the gospel that we do not trust and believe. That's the root of sin. It may be that you've never come to Jesus, you've never confessed sin, you've never received salvation, you've never been born again. And if that's the case, there is an ultimate unbelief in Jesus as Savior and as Lord. And the Holy Spirit's work is to convict us, not necessarily to just change our behavior, but to convince us that we have refused to believe so that we might believe. And if, and if you're a believer already growing in faith and pursuing Christ, there are times in life where we still sin, right? We sin regularly, right? either by action or attitude or, or whatever, but, but we sin. And that sin, too, as the Spirit convicts us, is a convincing that there is something in the gospel that we're not trusting or believing so that we might cry out with Peter, Lord, I believe, but help me in my unbelief. Because we recognize a need for growth and sanctification and purification in our lives as Christians. And so that's, very quickly, the conviction of sin because of unbelief. Then he says that he convicts us of righteousness, and he gives us the reason there too. That he convicts us of righteousness, in verse 10, because Jesus says, I go to the Father, and you no longer see me. So why does he convict us of righteousness? Well, as we understand our sinful nature, as we understand sin in general and that we're guilty of it, it, is all, it also means that we understand our need to be righteous, our need for righteousness. And as we look at the gospel and as we look what the Spirit is convincing, of, convincing us of as truth, we see that Jesus was raised from the dead and ascended on high, to the right hand of the Father. And so he says that he convinces, that is, convicts us of righteousness because Jesus is no longer with us, that he, because Jesus is with the Father. The fact that Jesus is now seated at the right hand of the Father convinces us that Jesus is righteous. The fact that Jesus rose from the dead after going through the cross convinces us that the Father has accepted that sacrifice as a righteous sacrifice for all who will believe. And so we become convinced by the Holy Spirit's work of righteousness, meaning we're convinced that Jesus is the one who is righteous, not us. And we need the righteousness of Christ in us. And so it's to our advantage that Jesus go away. That's got to be weird, right, in the minds of the disciples, that it would be to our advantage that Jesus... But it's to our advantage so that the Spirit can come, lead us to cry out, help me in my unbelief. It's to our advantage so that we'll 
quit trying to establish our own righteousness and earn our way, but realize that Jesus has already fulfilled all righteousness and offers it to us in his death and resurrection. And then, I told you I was going to go through these quickly. And then he says he convicts us of judgment because, he says, in verse 11, and concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. So you see, understanding that Jesus is present with the Father, causing us to understand that Jesus is righteous, also makes us look at the cross and confess that Jesus did not deserve judgment because he's righteous. So we look at the cross somewhat confused and think, but the Romans were punishing him, judging him because of his political uprising. The Jews were punishing him because he claimed to be the Messiah and God. And so this was a judgment against him. But as we understand Jesus' righteousness, having been convinced by the Spirit, we begin to see that Jesus was not judged in the cross. No, Satan was judged in his resurrection. So we become convinced by the Spirit of judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged. And in that, we begin to understand that our accuser has been judged guilty while we who are in Christ, that is, we who have trusted in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ for salvation, we who have believed in Him, put our hope in Him, and understood that we're not righteous, but He is, we have been made righteous in Christ and will no longer be judged because the ruler of this world has been judged. Not Christ. And us in Christ are not judged either. So he convinces us of judgment as well. It's to our advantage that Jesus goes away so that the Holy Spirit may come, convince us of our unbelief, causing us to cry out, help me in my unbelief. Convincing us that Jesus is righteous and we don't have to do that ourselves, but receive his righteousness by faith. And convince us that in having received his righteousness, judgment has been taken care of. And that judgment is not on us. And so, the Holy Spirit comes to convict us. To convict the world. Of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Now with that understanding, I had to at least lay out that base groundwork for us to move into the next section where we find that the Holy Spirit comes and grants this promise of increased understanding. It's kind of where I want to camp out a little bit this morning. And so to, to do so, I've, I've kind of broken this down into three additional points. Whereas there's six sermons here, I've kind of given you the six major headings, but this particular section, increased understanding, I want to talk about these three points. And that is, there is more, there is mercy, and there is growth. There is more, there is mercy, and there is growth. So let's look at verses 12, verse 12 together. Jesus says to them, 
After telling them that they will be convicted of these things, that the world will be convicted of these things, by the Spirit, he says, I have more things to say to you. I have more things to say to you. There is more, Jesus says. So let's pause right there for just a moment and ask ourselves this question, what in the world could there have been more for these guys? How could there possibly have been more? These are the men who walked alongside Jesus who saw him day to day in his earthly ministry, carrying out all the various things. These are men who heard firsthand the, if you will, the Olivet Discourse, right? The, the Sermon on the Mount. They heard firsthand, blessed is the poor. Blessed is, they, he, they were there. They received the teachings of Jesus directly from Jesus. What more could there possibly have been? They were there as he told the parables as he moved from place to place. And not only did they hear the parables themselves, but Jesus occasionally would take them off to the side by themselves and, and explain the parables to them. What possibly could there have been more? They actually witnessed the miracles that Jesus did among them. They were there when he healed the sick and when he, yes, even raised the dead. And Jesus says to them, there is more. I have more things to say to you. Before we go much further, because we understand that the Spirit is given, right, so that He may continue this work of teaching and growing us in faith. But I want to be very clear before we go any further. Jesus is not saying that there is more to the gospel message. He's not saying that the Spirit is going to come and add to the gospel message. As a, as a matter of fact, he, he said, He will guide you into all truth, and He will not speak on His own initiative. But whatever He hears, He will speak. Basically, He's not going to add new content. Right? The gospel is settled. The gospel is true. Jesus had taught them the gospel. As a matter of fact, we just went through the gospel, and that's what the, the Spirit is going to come and reiterate the gospel by convicting us of sin and righteousness and judgment. This is the gospel message. He's not coming to add to that. What he's coming to do in the sense that there is more is that there is more, even for these disciples, to understand and grow in in their application of the gospel. They need to understand and grow more in their understanding of the implications of the gospel message on their community and the culture and even to the uttermost parts of the world. And so, before we go any further, I, I just I want, I want you to know, I need to hear this myself, it's okay. It's okay for you to feel like there's so much you don't understand. It's okay for you to feel like, I don't get it all. It's even okay for you to be in those Bible study settings, maybe in Jonah, and you're having trouble even finding where the book of Jonah is. It's okay. Even for these disciples who walked alongside Jesus, there was more. And so for each and every one of us, there is more. 
No matter where you think you are in your spiritual journey, guess what? There is more. So it's okay. It's okay for you to be sitting in a missional community group and hear those questions asked and, and we feel uncomfortable and maybe even sometimes embarrassed because we don't seem to know as much as that guy knows or we don't seem to understand it as well as she understands it. And you feel embarrassed and maybe even you feel like, I don't want to go back because they're going to ask me a question and I don't know how to, you know what happens, you know what you should do when somebody asks you a direct question about the Bible or about, the, or about Christianity or about the gospel that you don't understand? You should just boldly say, you know, I don't get that. I don't understand that. Can you help me understand that more? That's what we mean by we want to be disciples. That's part of our statement, right? We want to be disciples. That means we want to be growing. But also we want to be disciples who are making disciples. And so we want to share with you what God has shared with me. But we're not bringing new content to the Scriptures or new content to the to the gospel message, we're just understanding more and more about the application of the gospel in day-to-day life and implications of the gospel in our city, in our culture, in our world. It's okay for you to not understand some things. These guys didn't understand some things. As a matter of fact, the next piece of chapter 16, verse 12, lets us know that it's actually mercy. This is mercy. There, there is more, but there is also mercy in this. And it's critical, I think, for us to understand how this is merciful. Listen to it again in verse 12. I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Do you hear the mercy there? Do you hear Jesus saying so much more application of this or so much more implication to this gospel on the culture but I know that you're, you're, you're not quite ready for all of that. And so instead of just dumping all of that on you and overwhelming you and confusing you, I am going to be patient with you and I'm going to help you grow gradually, step by step. Withhold a little bit for now. That's why John started this whole gospel with, we are moved from grace to grace. This is a process. The fact that we need more is God's mercy because He knows we cannot bear it all. When Moses was hidden in the cleft of the rock so that the face of God could go before him, that hiding him in the cleft of the rock was an act of mercy. Because looking upon the glory of God would have brought death to him couldn't handle it all at that moment. His patience to grow us slowly in the faith is His mercy for us. As a matter of fact, the, Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 3, it's one of my favorite verses to go to. Um, he says there that God has allotted to each a measure of faith. God has allotted to each a measure of faith. That tells us that God is the one that's kind of in control of this process of spiritual growth and sanctification that we are going through as believers. And so as we are on this journey and as we're growing, whatever pace at which we're growing is really a work of the Father in our lives by the power of the Spirit as He moves us from grace to grace. 
And so when, when, when you feel like you've got it all figured out, and maybe you're discipling another, or maybe you look at others and you go, I can't believe it. they don't have that yet. I can't believe, why can't they get this? Why don't they understand that? Why are they still struggling with that sin? Why don't they understand that doctrine? When we look at people that way, what we're really saying is, God, if I was the one allotting faith, I would have measured it out better than you. God is being patient with even us. To grow us at the pace at which we can handle it. We must learn to be patient with others and help participate in their growth at a pace in which God is moving them. You see, all too often, I think we, we have led people to believe that the growth of the Christian is supposed to be some exponential curve in life. Remember the person I said I was talking to earlier this week? That's kind of what that person was thinking, is I'm supposed to be on this exponential curve of rapid growth of Christianity, on a high, moving from high to high to high. Or, or maybe I was talking to actually somebody else uh, this week who was struggling with the fact that, that they, they felt like kind of they were plateaued for a while, and, and, and they, they thought maybe it wasn't supposed to be an exponential curve, but maybe it at least should be a, a linear you know, upward trajectory of spiritual growth. And they asked me about that, and I actually answered that question in a way that I've never answered it before, and I, I, I never really thought about it before, because I think we've always led people to think that that's the way it's supposed to be. But when presented with the question, I just said, you know, it's not really like that. The, the, your spiritual journey is full of ups and downs all the time. Seasons of life when everything seems dry. Seasons of life when, yeah, you've plateaued. Even seasons of life where maybe you regress in spiritual growth. It shouldn't be a flat line forever, but you're going to see flat lines in your spiritual journey. You're going to see exponential growth. You're going to see linear trajectories, upward trajectories. You're going to see flat lines and and if you looked at my life, if I were to map out my spiritual journey over the however many 40 years that I've been a believer in Jesus, right, it would look more like the stock market than anything. And so would yours. And so it is. So when you hit those low moments, when you're in those moments of struggle, when you're in those flat lines, remember that Jesus said this, okay? It's okay. There is more. But I understand you can't bear it all right now. That's his mercy. When you're making, that's you as a disciple, and when you're making disciples, because we want to be disciples making disciple makers, when you're making disciples, we've got to learn to show patience with one another, not judgment, not sit around and say, why are they still on the milk and not on the solid food, right? You've probably said that along with me from time to time. We must show patience, for God has shown patience to us. We must remember where we once were. I mean, I've been in a spiritual journey in my life where I've actually rejected doctrine that I later was convinced was actually true. Because I was like, I don't think I can handle that. I don't think that can be right. And then as I went through a two-year journey of studying the Scriptures, I was like, well, wait a minute, I was wrong. That is true 
The Scriptures declare it. And so you have to look back at your own life and realize where you were from time to time as you disciple others and be patient with them as you grow them gradually by the Spirit's guidance. We start with milk. We mature to solid food. But we never abandon the milk. It's okay. And because there is more and because there is mercy, there is growth. And so these apostles experienced growth in their understanding after Jesus went away. That's why it was to their advantage and to ours that Jesus go away because the Spirit comes and helps grow the understanding of the application and implication of the gospel. And so this is kind of what happens if we fast forward and look uh, just glimpse into the book of Acts. We see in Acts chapter 10, Peter being challenged to go and preach the gospel to a centurion. That is, to a Gentile, right? And, and Peter has to be told through this vision that don't call unclean what I have made clean. And this is like rocking Peter's world. It's not anything new about the gospel. It's just a new application, the extension of the gospel into his world. And it changes, ultimately, his understanding of who we are as the people of God. Not the children of Israel, but the children of Abraham's faith. And so he preaches the gospel to the centurion, and, and they believe, they receive the gospel, and they receive even the same spirit. So that changes the application of the gospel to their world and their understanding. And then you race to Acts chapter 15, and suddenly the Jerusalem church is having to have a meeting, and that question they're asking is, what in the world are we going to do with all these Gentiles? How can this be? What does this mean? So they're not grappling with a new meaning of the gospel. They're just grappling with the implications of the gospel on their world. It's changing their own hearts towards other people. You know, this is what the gospel does. This is what the Spirit does with the gospel. As we grow in more understanding of its application, the Spirit digs deep into our own hearts and our own minds and applies the gospel in new areas. Begins to, yes, convict us of sin and show us righteousness in that. Give us the peace of knowing that we're not judged for it. Gives us the ability to overcome it. in all sorts of different aspects of life. Changes our perspective of our world. If we let the gospel by the Spirit rule in our lives, there is more. There is more as we change our understanding. And then throughout the New Testament, Christians experience the implications of the gospel through persecution. As they think about spreading this gospel out of joy for the good of the world, then they were met with persecution because the world hates it, just as Jesus already said. This is not anything new that's being added to the gospel. Jesus had already told them that, tells them that in chapter 16 again. The world will hate you, but says that he has overcome the world. The implications of the gospel follow them as we go throughout the New Testament. And the implications of the gospel follow us today. As the Spirit guides us patiently, gently, gradually, 
to increase our understanding of its application and implications over, yes, a lifetime of ups and downs, struggles and pains, joys, highs. I had to talk to this individual and just say, you know, during the sorrowful and painful struggles, it's the Spirit at work in us using those things to unpack something else about the gospel, to show us how the gospel applies even in those areas of life, to show us that in our pains and struggles, maybe we're not trusting God in a particular area and not believing that the gospel can influence this. Help us in our unbelief. And even during the mundane, drudgery, normal, everyday life. It's what we experience, right? When we have to be reminded that John Piper wrote a book called When I Don't Desire God. Even in those days, the Spirit is the one at work drawing us more and more into more understanding of the gospel. He can use those periods of our lives as a merciful moment to let us truly saturate in what we've learned to let us not learn some other new sinful thing we need to be repenting of but learn how to repent perpetually of the things we already know he lets us rest as well in the normal everyday drudgery of life and then we have to understand this pattern of merciful growth. Like I said, the pattern is going to look more like the stock market than anything else. And that's okay. It's good. It's good for you. It is good for all of us as God mercifully grows us over time. You see, if we're on this exponential curve... The risk there is that we think we've got it all together. The risk there is that we think we've got it. We actually hit a point in our Christian walks where we feel like, I don't need any more. I'm done. And there was a time maybe in, in my life where I sought after confidence in my spiritual condition. I sought after confidence in my understanding of the gospel. I sought after confidence in my ability to apply the gospel in people's lives and in my own. I wanted that level of confidence. And I'll tell you, the day that the Spirit began to convict me of the confidence that I had was earth-shattering to my identity. Because I thought I was pursuing the good thing. I thought I was pursuing the right thing. And what my sinful nature had done is it had taken the good and the right and twisted into a sinful pride. Because that's just who I was. And I still struggle with that kind of pride from day to day. And I have to recognize it. And the Spirit said, you know what? You think you've got it all. You think you have reached the pinnacle. You think you're on this exponential curve. You think you can help everybody else. You think you don't need any more. There's more. And I'm going to be patient with you. 
to grow you at a pace that you can handle it because you can't bear it all right now. And I find I didn't really know very much at all in those days. And we're talking about when I was in my early 20s, by the way. Something about teenagers and 20-year-olds that think they got it, right? That was me. But he was patient with me. He grew me slowly and is still growing me very, very slowly. In the normal, everyday drudgery of life. So as we commit to understand that there's more, that there is mercy in that, and that there is growth as we move through, I think it will help us and do us good to kind of take a flyby of John chapter 16. The Spirit is persistently present because Jesus has gone away, and that is to our advantage, so that He can work these things daily, slowly, gently in our lives. The Spirit is constantly, persistently at work convicting us of sin so that we can grow and overcome all sorts of sinful habits and attitudes and struggles and recognize how others can do the same in the righteousness of Jesus. Because we're growing, because the Spirit is at work, and because we're experiencing those things, he says in verses 20, 22, and 24, he says that our struggles, our difficulties, our pain in life will turn to joy. That in the midst of the struggles, we'll see that it is the Spirit at work doing these things. While we look at the world and see them rejoicing after all of these things, we'll know that that kind of rejoicing is but temporal and the struggles that I may experience, even the persecution I may experience because of this work of the Spirit in my life is being transitioned to joy that is a joy that will never end, he says in verse 24. And Because of that, we're moved into this intimate prayer life with the Father in verses 26 and 27 in particular. And this is a text that uh, for years and years we've always talked about it as being that text where it says that anything you ask will be, anything you ask in my name will be given to you. And we, we get confused. We think the gift there is the fact that, he, that, that we get anything we ask for. But, but the truth is when you read what Jesus said, that the gift is not that we get anything. The gift is that we get to ask. Listen, listen real quick, in 26. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will request the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I have come forth from the Father. You see what he's saying? He says, you, you pray to the Father in my name. You pray to the Father in my righteousness, in my nature, in my character. And because we have the righteousness of Christ, we ourselves get to enter into the presence of the Father and ask Him ourselves in the name of Jesus. No mediator beyond the name, person, work of Jesus Christ needed. We don't have to go to others or pray to others 
we have the great gift to pray. I'm sorry, that was a different sermon. I want to preach that one, but I'll move on. And then finally in verse 33, he tells us that in the work of all of this, that peace is granted. That is peace that transcends all understanding because Jesus has overcome the world. When we hit those moments of peace, you know what happens? In those moments of peace, sometimes it becomes mundane, drudgery, nothing really big happening in life. And we need the Spirit to remind us there's more. So we go through it. Father, thank you for your word today. I pray that you would empower it by your spirit to do the very thing we've been talking about, and that is just move in our hearts, change us, grow us, show us that it's okay, that it's actually merciful from you, that we are in need of that growth and don't have it all together. Convince us if we think we do have it all together and we don't need more. Convince us of our unbelief and cause us to desire growth and more in the context of community. Pray these things in Christ's holy name. Amen. You should have in your chair there a, a cup has a piece of bread and some juice. Uh, if you don't, there are more in the back. You can peel back that clear layer and it reveals the, uh, the bread. And this bread represents the body of Christ. And the Bible says to us that this is my body, Jesus said. It was broken for you. And this whole process that we're talking about of growing in faith, moving from grace to grace, was purchased for us in the death of Jesus, in the brokenness of his body. So as we take this this morning, we're reminded of the body of Jesus, reminded of his death, and that in it all good things were purchased for us in sanctification. That's why we do it every week, because we're in constant and persistent need of him. Let's take, eat, this is his body. push down the tab and then pull back the foil and opens a cup of grape juice representing the blood of Jesus that is the cup of redemption the blood poured out for us and this piece of the of the Lord's Supper reminds us that it wasn't just his broken body it wasn't just the beating that he received but it was his life blood poured out that is that he gave his life for our salvation and yes gave his life for our sanctification and so we come to this cup week after week remembering that even in the daily mundane the weekly repetitive nature of life Jesus is at work growing us sanctifying us changing us showing us there's more and there's growth and we're dependent on his death to accomplish that and so we remember his death as we drink this cup longing for the day of his return drink this is the blood of Jesus. Let's stand to worship together.